Virtual Podcast. This is our first crossover episode. And today we have Tara Zeller as our guest. Tara, could you introduce yourself, please? Hi, everyone. I am Tara Zeller. I am a mom. I'm a wife. I'm also a behavior analyst. I have been working in the field of ABA for a very long time, let's say decades to keep it general. Um, So I uh, started my own company back in 2015. I own the Apple Tree Connection. And our mission is to train, mentor, and empower professionals, families, and school personnel to influence positive behavior change globally. So I am so excited to be on this podcast today with you, Brian. I'm really excited to have you here too, Tara. Thank you so much. Okay, so pre-show, we were doing a lot of chatting, and I'm really excited because we're going to be bouncing a little bit all over the place, and I, I love it. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit RFT, a little bit ACT, and a lot neurodiversity, um, but we're also going to be talking about anything and everything that comes between that, including ways of um, improving ABA as we know it, um, and to your mission and my mission, our, our shared value, just making the world better. Yes. So yep. uh, where to start? Um Well, could you tell us a little bit about your organization? I remember you talking a little bit or mentioning pre-show about the new RBT. And I'm, and I'm curious about that. You, you piqued my interest. So tell me, tell me what the new RBT is in your terms. You got it. Um, I'll just give you a quick intro as to how I got to that. Um, You know, again, I've been in this field for a long time. In fact, I wasn't 100% sure that I was going to pursue my board certification. I worked in a group home with some really intense problem behaviors. Um, So I learned uh, trial by fire. I learned how to implement applied behavior analysis uh, procedures. And it was a really great foundation to um, being a behavior practitioner but the work was very intense. Um, and, you know, I, I had some other ideas about the path that I wanted to take in life. So I meandered a little bit and just came back because, you know, just for maybe a year and a half or so, and just came back because my passion for helping people was so strong that I realized I could take what I learned and I could take what I was applying at this particular location and just keep using it to change the world positively. It didn't have to just be used in a single context. Um, Not that I didn't, you know, want to continue to support people with severe um, disabilities, but, um, you know, just for me, I ended up having a neck injury and it, precluded me from being able to work with severely aggressive behaviors. So I, it, it was a good way for me to look around and go, how else can this amazing science be applied? Um, so I spent a long time, once I did fully become board certified as a behavior analyst, working as a contractor. It's just kind of a natural place to be when you're a behavior analyst, especially with the tiered model. Um, and, and even more so when the RBT credential came around, I think it was either late 2014, 2015, around then. So it's not a very old uh, credential as a certification, the RBT. But, you know, when I was working at, at, when I was working as a behavior tech, 
you were essentially the RBT without the official, official certification. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of the same schooling, right? I, I was taught by Tom Freeman. I drop his name all the time because he's just my favorite. Oh man, I love him so much. He is, he is the, pra- he is the most practical, pragmatic practitioner. And the way that I learned ABA is the way that I teach ABA, right? Mm-hmm. So spent a long time years as a, a, a contractor working for other companies. And you and I, you mentioned the word ethical a little earlier. I saw to me, to me, I found that I was seeing maybe more unethical behavior than ethical behavior. And I just don't roll like that. Um, especially when it just comes to helping humans that just always was at the top of my list is helping my, my client, <laughs> not so much the bottom line. I get it. You know, it's a business. I understand revenue, but we're talking about vulnerable people, especially because many, many of my clients had some, some, something inhibiting them. Let's just say, right. So a lot of times my clients had autism, sometimes developmental disabilities, mostly children. Right. Um, so I just always found that, you know, being that we're going to be talking about act, I just felt like that was just always naturally a part of what I did without even realizing it was this, you know, whole other type of implementation. Right. Um, So I found myself really um, engaging with RBTs as the credential came about. I was supervising those pursuing BCABA and then also those pursuing RBT. Um, And I was always kind of a black sheep as a supervisor, uh, the way that I interacted with my supervisees. But um, I felt good about it. I felt good about leading with ethics. I felt good about supporting them and, and giving them good corrective feedback. And I was often... I had one supervisor who told me I needed to go have a beer because I was too serious um, when I was trying to get my supervisees to log their hours consistently so we didn't get shut down for Medicaid fraud like the last company we were. So I could go on and on. I just found that there was just a lot of weird stuff going on as I was working for other companies. And I had a final straw and I said, I'm going to start my own company. And when I start my own company, I want to focus heavily on training because we work, you know, we work better together Um, just because I'm a behavior analyst, just because I have my master's does not mean that my paraprofessional is not equally as important as I am on the case, if not more important when you're looking at a, you know, 5% supervision requirement versus their 95% unsupervised. So I just... Yeah, go ahead. Go which, ahead. which, yeah. to be fair, I, I find I find the five percent number to be woefully inadequate. Um, Whoa! Oh. <laughs> and and if if I, I I am trying very very hard, and I am a newer behavior analyst, and I'm still learning the ropes when it comes to clinical practice with um, developmental delay services, uh, not just autism spectrum disorder services, but developmental delay in general, and. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm learning and growing and learning how to be a better supervisor. But uh, all of those things, like I look at 5% and I go, what? Yeah, right. When you do the math, when you really take it and you break it down, you go, if you work 120 hours, you know, let's just say somebody works 30. Well, let's do 40. If you work, somebody works 40 hours a week times four. I know there's a little bit more in a month, right? Mm -hmm. That's 160 hours per month. Mm -hmm. 
that person is only owed eight hours of supervision, eight hours to their mm. 160. I mean, when you just even think about those numbers, you're going, whoa, right? Yeah. Whoa. So, um, you know, that, that became important to me as I started my own company. I got to make the rules. I got to lead with the ethics. I got to lead with training. Um, I got to grow as fast as I wanted to. I got to um, find the funding sources, but know where I drew the line as far as what, what I was willing to do for a funding source. I mean, that sounds weird, but you know, where, where, how could I make my interactions with my client more important and, and, and then what the funding source is asking for. So I always kind of gave the bare minimum to see what I could get away with in a good way. So I wasn't just bogged down with all of this. I, I love data. Mm-hmm. Data is amazing, but we can over data, right? Mm-hmm. We could, we could, we could spend more or most of our time collecting data than we do interacting with our clients, right? So yeah. our client is a person and a human and the interaction that we have with them is the most important. We're supposed to take data on the interaction. The data isn't supposed to be the interaction, right? Yeah. You get, do you get what I'm saying about that? Uh, I'm, I'm going to give it from a different slant because I, I love not limiting myself to, to just the behavior, uh, radical behaviorism in my, my, my research. So from a neurological perspective, our brains do the same thing where um, what the research is showing us is that a lot of our interaction with our environment is um, based off of previously recorded data with brief updates which is one of the reasons why saying memory, uh, even identic memory, of, which is the official term for photographic, is yeah, actually yeah. not perfect memory. Um, okay. it's, it's because there's, a, there's an efficiency thing where we're reducing the amount of data that's needed to be taken in so that way we mm-hmm. can function properly. Mm-hmm. And this actually is one of the foundational concepts of ACT um, and of other mindfulness-related practices no, I'm saying mindfulness related act itself is not mindfulness act is a mindfully related practice. Mm. I want to be clear on that because mm. I'm also trying to do better. And one of the things that I've learned about um, I've been learning a lot about Eastern philosophies and um, we need to be respectful of the cultures that, or culture, I guess there's multiple cultures that have, that have influenced by the one, but um, that have coined the term mindfulness. And so what we think of as mindfulness in science is barely scratching the surface and I don't have a better word for it yet. Yeah. But the point is, is that applications of RFT of active mindfully re- mindfulness related activities are about flipping the script on our neurological default and getting us to be present in the moment and engaging with our environment. Keep in mind, that's not the definition of mindfulness. It's just the a definition of trying to understand the concept. Um, And so if we're spending so much time collecting data, that's like the person who is (laughs) spending so much time worrying about what's going on in their head that they're not engaged with their environment. Right. And we are a part of our environment. And the individuals we're working with are a part of our environment. And 
we, we have to see them both as people and as a part of the environment and ourselves as people and as a part of the environment. And if we're not engaged with that person, then we're being mindless. I, I, that is, uh, uh, wow. Thank you. I, I, this I is, hope that this is, it, it did. It did. It, it totally did because, you know, as we're talking, you know, your question was about the new RBT and the reason that I incorporated RBT training into Apple Tree Connection, right? So I, I was doing clinical practice and I was hiring on my own RBTs and I was growing my practice and um, taking the time to train my RBTs to look like BCBAs, mm-hmm. right? And it wasn't even intentional. That wasn't even my, my goal, right? It wasn't my goal, but I empowered them so much by honoring them as a person and not saying, well, you're my supervisee and you get 5%. No, first of all, I guaranteed at least 10%. Just that's just, it was my company. It is my company. Right. So that's what I got to do. Right. Um, so I get, I got, I gave at least 10%. I was omnipresent. I learned from my RBTs and I'm using this in the past because I have since transitioned fully to training. I have transitioned from clinical practice to training because it became so imperative for me when my RBTs were being asked by BCBAs about things and and they would just answer, they weren't saying like, oh, I'm just RBT, but they would say, oh, something, something RBT and the BCBA next to them that was also providing one-to-one services in a school-based setting would say, I thought you were a BCBA. And it was because they were empowered um, to you know, implement behavior, you know, procedures through interactions with their client. I made it easier for them by, I, I purchased an electronic data collection software because for me, that was one more way to make the data kind of like happening in the background and the interactions being at the forefront, right? Um, and I, I, and so the more I realized how much I, enjoyed the training part. I enjoyed the empowering part. I loved watching my RBTs look like BCBAs and really making great decisions because they were empowered to make those decisions. We still had the line between where their job ended and mine began. That was, was you know, right. They weren't going in and doing standalone parent training or, you know, we still, the roles were still clear, but their, their, their ease and comfort with working with their client showed through. So I started in the background, a very small RBT academy. I just decided, okay, I'm going to find out what it takes to train RBTs, like in an official capacity, like provide them with their training certificate. Um, The requirements I had to call like two or three times just to verify that, that this was true, but the requirements are just that you're a BCBA or BCABA, which rubs me a little bit the wrong way because- a BCABA cannot work independent of a BCBA. So that part, I'm nothing against BCABAs, but that part, I don't understand. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that you took the eight hour supervision and that's it. I'm telling you, I called three times just to make sure, because I didn't want to look like a fraud doing this RBT training. Um, And that was it. And that you're in good standing. So I said, well, if it's better, you know, I need to do this. I need to, and I want to. So as I started designing my RBT training, um, I wanted to really get the type of voice out 
that I was consistently giving to my trainees under my umbrella of Apple Tree, who were providing services and, you know, were having success because of that focus on the client, client centered, right? Client focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started to show through then in my RBT students as they would go out and be hired by companies. So I created this cycle for students to come to me and then go find employers. I created an employer network. So I defined, and I'm just going to get back to your original question, the new RBT, right? And it was just a way for me to keep this, um, this spine that was consistent throughout all of the classes. I've been teaching this class now since 2017. My course has grown from seven students per cohort to two 35 student cohorts um, twice a semester. So I teach four, four classes times two. So it's really eight. I Hmm. teach eight, eight live cohorts for now per year of 35 students. Um, So the new RBT uh, is compassionate, right? We talk about that through the course. It's not, Hey, here's the task list. It's, Hey, you're really important. You're practicing a science. You have a science. Here's the science applied behavior analysis. It is a wonderful body of science and has amazing applications, but compassion needs to be at the core of you working with your human or animal, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Connection, make a connection, make one. Um, Just to, to caveat, just to, to explain uh, when I first opened Apple Tree, and I tell this story to my students because I think it's also really important to be very real, especially because here I am. I'm a behavior analyst. I have my master's. I'm, you know, a highest level practitioner. I run my own company, right? I wanna, I want them to. You talked about you have your handle, bearded behavior analyst, but you're Brian, right? You're, you know, and so you want to say, I, we're the same. We're both people, right? So. I tell the story about when I opened up Apple Tree Connection, I was just, you know, on cloud nine, you know, just so excited that I get to have my own client that I vetted. And and so I did not have a lot of success in the beginning because I skipped the pairing period. I I went in guns blazing. I did my, I know I got my assessment. I did my, I know exactly what the function is. Oh my God, it's so clear. Let me start to do all these things and buy the books. It should have been working by the book. Oh my goodness. This is do this versus this and that. And, you know, extinction bursts like crazy that we're not going away. And I had the wherewithal because again, compassion is key and connection is key to stop and say, I did not pair with this client. And I had not yet hired on RBT. And that's when I decided I need RBT and I need to make sure that they lead with pairing, right? They lead with that. And you don't get, because what happens is this, this pressure to meet the funding source, to meet it. And you do, you can't, you know, they're still paying you. Um, But as the professional, there's, there's a time period where, listen, progress comes when progress comes and there's ways to, to get their the correct way. And there's ways to get there the incorrect way. And I am always willing to admit my flaws because it will help somebody avoid that in the future. Right. And so I brought on my, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's something that the, the, the starting with the pairing, um, I, when I'm working with my RBTs, I don't care if they're veterans because I have quite a few, they're veterans and oh my goodness, they're wonderful. Um, or brand new, to the field, never done it before. My emphasis is always, you need to be pairing minimum 75% of the time. 
like yes. like you th- this is a human you're working with this is a person yes. you need to be yes. there with them and engaging with them and yeah. um a part of that process too is like sometimes they'll bring up like well is that a problem behavior and i'll be like okay wait let's really think about this here this is a person right when you look at them as a person so so what if the kid flips the rug and flips it back and forth probably is fun right so flip the rug with them right like, yes <laughs> stim with them yes yes like i'm sitting here in my chair and i'm spinning side to side like uh-huh. you know just stop and really think about it i was i was reading an article um you know i, I guess i try to be really open i try to keep my eyes wide open and listen to people's positive and negative experiences right mm-hmm. and you know though i've been thinking about this and then it i was reading an article about it i had already been thinking about what 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 if when our clients are, uh, let's use the perseverating, right? Because I could say obsessing, but perseverating mm-hmm. on a particular line, a particular scene, but one component of it. There's a reason why they picked that particular thing. What if I engage with them about it? What if that's their way of communicating with me? I believe there is a there there is a communication in there somewhere, right? And you know, sometimes your client is non-vocal, sometimes they are, right? So try to have a conversation if they are. If not, watch them, watch how happy they are when they're doing it. There is a joyous thing about it. Now, if it's happening all day, every day, all the time, and they can't do life, that's different, right? Mm-hmm. But if it's something that brings them joy and they can lean into. Find out, get it, get in on it, get in on it, get, well, get, jump around, sing the song. And I'll, and I'll give you a perfect example of this because uh, as a special ed teacher, I had a, a, a student who, um, there were there were four kids in my classroom where it was a study hall and, and we were all autistic kids. I say we, cause I am one too. Um, and this one particular kid was, saying over again, people eating sheep, sheep eating people, people, sheep, sheep, people, 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 sheep. And, and like everybody in the classroom except for him was getting annoyed um, because, you know, it's, it, it was that perseveration. And like, I could have told him to stop, but instead I walked up and I said, hey, um, did you hear the joke about the, uh, the herd of sheep? And the kid was like, what? And I said, I heard it was awesome. And he starts <laughs> chuckling. And I said, what do you call a pile of sheep? And he goes, what? I said, tight knit. <laughs> and, <laughs> right, and you started speaking his language. Yep. And it, and it, and it connected us. And, and yes. this, is, this even happened last week where, you know, we, we use teams in our, in our clinic and somebody put out a message, Hey, can I get a bathroom break? And then I happened to be available. So I headed on over and I'd only hung around this client, like once it like was, wasn't my client different art BCBA's client, but while they're at the bathroom break, I was with the client client was doing free time, free play time. And client was just kind of doing their own thing and um, started stimming. And I started stimming with, and the stimming mm. was just kind of bouncing up and down. Yeah. And, and this individual started bouncing up and down and laughing and then looking me straight in the eye and like, you going to do it? You and do so it. I, I you do it. it. You <laughs> do it. We went back and forth and it was really funny because this week um, that client ran up to me 
and just like made full eye contact was laughing and giggling that sort of thing and the other the a different rbt who was with that client was like wait do you know this kid like this kid likes you and i'm like yeah we stim together totally like this kid this kid likes me too we that's our jam and uh, you sent chills down my legs because you 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 just said this person is communicating with me mm-hmm. and I'm going to communicate back. And that's our job. It's literally in the job description. Well, and I <laughs> you know, know there's learning some, and behavior. <laughs> and I know there's behavior analysts out here who are like behaviors and communication. I will argue with you until what? the world is the end. I will argue no. until the, the very last molecule cools oh, down and entropy is taken all like it. all of it. It's all be, it's all, all communication. Of it. All of it. Every single motion and I all of it. I and that's another thing too, is when people have those absolutes. And mm-hmm. that's you know, that's kind of the thing too, is I, I'd been I had a supervisee one time and I said something about, oh, he's feeling this way. And in front of everybody, first of all, in front of everybody, which I just was like, Mm-mm. she corrected me. And I was like, hey, can we go step aside for a second? And I said, first of all, like, that's also not really super appropriate to just like, I, I am your supervisor. So maybe just from a professional standpoint, like the correcting is just maybe let's not do that so much. And then also people have feelings. So to tell me that I shouldn't use the word feelings is a little, you're taking that really too far as far as like, I get that I'm not trained in psychology and I don't have my PhD, but to pretend that someone doesn't have a feeling because we don't work on feelings is detrimental when you are working with people. Well, it's, and it's that's- just, it's, so the lens is so narrow. And, and, and to add to that, because your argument's better, but to add to that, because this strengthens your argument, literally the difference between methodological behaviorism and radical behaviorism is the fact that we accept that internal events, AKA thoughts, feelings, memories, emotions, are behavior. What's the automatic function? It's one of the four functions. Yeah. I'm glad you call it automatic, not sensory. Oh, never. It's not sensory. (laughs) We do the four A's. (laughs) We don't do everybody eats. We do the four A's. Yeah. Because sensory is misleading. Mm -hmm. It's just misleading because sensory sensory to me indicates an input that you want. Whereas a negative automatic is trying to get rid of something aversive. Mm-hmm. So I think by saying sensory, you're discounting the fact that it can be something that somebody is trying to remove or avoid. And it's dangerous to see it as simply sensory, right? Do you get that? Yeah. Oh, sensory oh. is like an input in and in, in, but you know, if somebody's banging their head and you just assume that it's sensory because they don't, they're non-vocal there they could have a tumor i mean like you know what i'm saying like that's that's a big jump but my favorite example for for automatic negative reinforcement because a lot of times when people think automatic they think pleasure right and uh, and i'm like automatic negative here's one that you've experienced every human has experienced this doesn't matter what your neurotype is okay the sigh or huff of frustration like if you've done it when no one was around, then there's no social function. There's none. So it's automatic and everybody does it. Like 
get it, getting you're getting medicine behavior when you have a headache, right? Going and getting the medicine. Yeah. Right. You're taking medicine behavior. You don't do it because somebody says, yay, you took medicine. You take it because it removes your headache. Yeah. yeah there's, there's some sort of internal stimulus or pressure that's building up. That's yeah. that huff of frustration is my favorite yeah. because yeah. it's like you feel that pressure. It's kind of tightened. <sighs> okay. You feel better, right? Yeah. You just removed something from your, from yeah. your environment and your internal environment is your environment. Yeah. And that's, oh man, yeah. that, that is, that is the reason why act is behavior analytic to a effing T yeah. because um, yeah. yes, we can't do the psychotherapy component of it, but we can do the self-management yeah. And- self-management. Here you go. Here's your sign, right? Here's your generalization of skills. Exactly. You're self-managing it. You don't need me. My job is to work myself out of a job, right? Mm-hmm. Physical therapists should not be working on your injury for life or else they haven't done the, their job. If you're not making progress at a physical therapist, they need to send you back to the doctor because maybe your, your injury was misdiagnosed, right? Or you need you to see a different the, physical therapist. Or you need to see a different physical therapist, right? So self-management leads to generalization of skills, which mm-hmm. leads to no, no needy more therapy. You know? <laughs> and yeah. So sorry, we digressed a bit. So going back to that's the, okay. the, new, yeah, RBT. the new RBT, <laughs> but that was connection, right? That's what mm-hmm. we're talking about. Like meet your client where they are. They're a person, vocal, non-vocal, wheelchair bound, not wheelchair bound, old, young, with autism, without autism, you know, grieving, not, you know, just whatever it is, whatever it is. Right. So observation, I always say that observation is my superpower and not just looking at somebody and judging them like, Oh, I'm using my two eyes. It's the observation of behaviors are functionally related to their environment. Function is my favorite. I mean, other than the other F word function is my favorite F word because it's, you know, it's amazing function of behavior. My goodness, what magic, right? What a magical, magical thing. ABC function, boom, right? Um, even as a parent, you know, I, 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 I ABC myself and I ABC my kids. Like one of my kids is a major task avoider. I'm like, you're engaging in task avoiding behaviors and I'm reinforcing them. Um, so observation, 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 motivation right? Like what motivates our clients? We, let's tap into that. Let's find out what is motivating them. Like get a big, big, big view of them. I'm going to be um, devil's advocate here for a second. I'm just going to be devil's advocate, but motivation is not an ABA term. I mean, what's MO? We talk about <laughs> MO, right? We do. We talk about I've, the MO. We, I've heard people say that. My response is the same thing. It's like, what are you talking about? MOs are definitely. Or Jack a Michael. My goodness, Jack Michael, our, our, you know, one of our amazing foundational fathers that, you know, we, we 2020, we, we lost two greats last year. Um, Jack Michael and, and Jose Martinez Diaz, who's one of my original mentors, a, a major, major he would love this conversation, you know, just talking about ABA and it's I, I wish reach. I had, had a chance to meet him. I oh my I goodness. Had. I love him. I do. I, he's in so many people's hearts and he always will be. He is, he, he shaped who we are as a practice, you know, and he just had such, he just loved people, you know, and I do feel like I'm trying to live out his legacy by, by talking about ABA as this amazing science and, and it's, limitless reach and application. And it's, it's, it was, it's, it's, 
there's no population that this science is meant for. It's a science, right? It's kind of like saying all psychologists work on grief counseling of children who've lost their parents, right? Mm-hmm. You, 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 when you think psychology, there is no application that you do not think that it can help. I, that was a lot of double negatives, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you see the psychology as a limitless science, right? You don't think, oh, that's only for this group or that group. There are sects and there are schools of thought and mm-hmm. there are ways to apply it. And that's what ABA is. It's a science. And so part of this new RBT that I teach within my RBT Academy is just that it's you're limitless. If you come, because people come from all backgrounds, right? I've had some of my early students, their motivation to come to my class was they had a sibling with a disability and they watched their sibling receive services or you know, they learned a little bit about it in one of their psychology classes, but not enough. Um, and so people's paths that they want to go on are not linear. And that's another part of this new RBT is ABA does not equal autism therapy, right? Working mm-hmm. with people on the autism spectrum is one way to utilize the science of applied behavior analysis. And it has the most abundant opportunities that we know of due to the amazing work of the opening of the funding sources and all the states, right? So not to detract from that, right? Mm -hmm. So the the abundance of opportunities are in autism. But that is not the single application of the science. Plus only a portion of the science is typically applied in the settings, right? It's not like you're using every single component of the science. Sometimes it becomes very limited, in fact. Um, It becomes pigeonholed. If we pigeonhole ourselves to... uh... ASD services, then that means that we're leaving out all the opportunities. Leaving them out. Yes. Yes. We're, we're, we're we're literally precluding all the opportunities that we can make a difference. Like everything from traffic analysis, like, like to, to physical health. Um, I will say that Clint Evans, um, Oh yes. And, and the behavior behavior chef, chef. He yeah. is, he is doing amazing work and yeah. same thing for yeah. behavior fit, um, at, at trying to show, help people see that, you know, we don't have to do fad diets. We don't have to do the big advertising thing. We can show people that they can, their, their behavior can be, their environment can be altered so that their behavior can lead to better health and longer living. Yeah. And this is one of my little Brianisms I came up with. Um, I come up with all sorts of them, but my particular favorite one right now is um, the form is ABA. That's 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 an application, but the function is to live well. Yes. Like I always I, say, live their best lives. We are there to help our clients live their best life. Their their best life, not their my best life. Theirs, not the funding source, not their caregiver, not their peers. Right. And that's, and that, that brings in act beautifully because what act is about is it's about helping the individual identify their values, their values. And like initially when I was at the beginning, I was, I was getting kind of uh, uh, learning this. I kind of got stuck on me trying to convey my values to them. And and, we all come with a history. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's, you know but then, then learned how to convey 
how I found my values and then try to help them find their values. That's the next step. That's the thing that makes the difference because if you can help them identify their values, then they can take committed action towards their values. Um, Values are a motivating operation. Values alter the value of the reinforcer. And if somebody can engage in their values and live their values, then they're able to live their best their life. Best life. Theirs. And then we can end therapy. Yeah. And then they don't need us because we are the therapeutic environment. And I also teach my students that we are not our client's natural environment. Their natural environment doesn't include a therapist. So we need to help them. We are, we are obligated to work ourselves out of a job. And that mm-hmm. looks differently depending on your client. There's no one perfect, you know, it's not like therapy should last one year. No, mm-hmm. like it, it's fluid. But I believe that there's tons of therapy that is either ineffective or is just lasting so long for whatever reason. Maybe people don't know how to fade out services. I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's all about empowering our clients to, to do their life for themselves, right? And if they're young kids, they still have to have assistance from their parents, which is where the caregiver training becomes essential, mm-hmm. right? Essential is the handoff is just like, you got it. You, you can do this, right? You could do hard things. And I'm going to use ABA on you when I'm doing my parent training so that you're changing your behavior because you're the reinforcer for all this problem behavior, essentially as the caregiver, right? Behavior that sticks around is reinforced. So how do we find out how to reinforce other behaviors? And one of the things that I, I try to do with both my RBTs, with my parents, with my clients, is I help to help them to see that they are behavior analysts, every single one of them, because we're all analyzing our environment, right? We, we don't have to use the exact same fun, big air quotes there, fun language that behavior analysis uses, but we can still teach them how to analyze their environment and be responsive to their environment and then how they can alter their environment so they can achieve their best life so they can live well. That's it. And you need to meet them where they are. Like Mm -hmm. I notice because I know myself and I know that planned ignore is not, it doesn't work for me. I Mm -hmm. just, I've been learning patience throughout COVID. I think that's one thing that I chose to ensure that I worked on because it was essential, right? You Mm -hmm. had to be patient. And so I engaged, I I embraced it. But I also know as a parent, planned ignore doesn't work for me because I do have a fuse. I do not, I, I can work on it as long as I want, but I will eventually explode and I will then reinforce a much higher, oh, oh, you went an hour with my tantrum. Great. That's my minimum now, you know? So I know that planned ignore does not work for me. So I do not use planned ignore. And I also recognize that when I'm working with parents, I observe the parents and the way they interact with their child. So if I see a parent who has a similar personality to mine, just because I know, I don't even introduce planned ignore because I want to provide them with tools that they are going to succeed with. It's an amazing tool. It's an unbelievable tool if you can use it. But if you have that, I'm using planned ignore, I'm using planned ignore, I'm using planned ignore, explode, right? Mm -hmm. 
you're reinforcing, right? Because it's if it's if it's a tension maintained, right? So anyway, yeah. understanding the client, including the caregiver, because they are your client when you're engaging in caregiver training. Well, and and to to add to that, because yeah, planned ignore is is definitely something that is is overused. I would argue that planned ignore is overgeneralized because we're forgetting shaping, right? So uh, first off, planned ignoring extinction, whatever you want to call it, because there's the, there, there are two, two different roughly similar definitions, but similarities sure. going on right, right there. Little Venn diagram going on in my head here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I see it with you. Like it's a, it's a, those should never be happening by themselves. It should always be right. differential. Differential. Always, always differential. Like, always. It, like, okay, so there, there are natural environment settings where extinction and or planned ignoring might occur. Like if, well, maybe it's not planning, unplanned ignoring. There we go. Unplanned ignoring. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It uh, hasn't been planned, but it's happening. Yes, it's happening. <laughs> like those, just because those not happen naturally and just because punishment happens naturally in an environment doesn't mean that 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 gives us carte blanche to just blast the world with a shotgun shell of yeah. and ignoring extinction and, and, and right. punishment. Um, differential right. reinforcement and shaping are our best friends. And so um, what I've been doing with, with my RBTs and a particular client that I'm thinking of right now is there, there's some toleration training that has to happen. And when I say toleration training, I mean like this individual won't take no from other people for an answer. Yeah. Like yeah. will not respect their bodily autonomy, those sorts of things, uh, or at least wouldn't. And um, that at this age, it's cute. Yep. It's at the, at the age I'm thinking of, it's cute. Yep. And um, then when they're a 16 year old male or a 21 year old male or mm-hmm. right. Or female, or, or, right. Yeah. Yep. The, yep. Or female, right. Like yeah, if, sorry, if someone not, says not. no and we don't yep. consent, then we just created a, yeah. we created somebody yeah. who's a predator. So yeah. we're doing planned ignoring with shaping where what we're doing is we're honoring communication and we're shaping better communication, but we're also shaping toleration. So um, the last big outburst that we had, look, so to start with the first, the first time we had one of these things. And, and as soon as we found the functional communication, we shaped it. It took a bit for this first time around. It was about 45 minutes and it was, whoa. And we had to apply safety care, uh, where we got the individual to a safe place and we we're not putting hands on. We're just, we're just, right. Yeah. Waiting, allowing for them to flip their switch back on. If you like, because when you're in distress, the switch switch is flipped off. Your, your paralympic system is just fight or flight. Like there's, there's no rationalizing. There's no rationalizing. That's it. But But as soon as we got any form of communication, jumped on it, deescalated, moved to the next step of shaping, right? This last time that we had one total duration and it was a pretty big outburst, but total duration was less than three minutes. And communication yeah. came quick. Yeah, yeah. And Great. when talking with the That's parents, the power of reinforcement. And when talking with the parents, they were like the same thing. Like it's it. We're seeing um, 
dad's words were something along the lines of we're seeing a lot more of those little little pump the brakes situations but like and, and pump the brakes and, and kind of a, like precursor behaviors to potential outbursts but then we're also seeing this individual going through the process of checking and we and we're we're, we're I'm putting words in parents' mouth, but basically parents saying we have to prompt less and less. And right, self-management. Self-management. You're shaping self-management. And, and you're shaping I'm, it. I'm hoping that maybe not this authorization period, but the next one we can exit. Right. Because that's the goal. You're beginning with the end in mind. Exactly. <laughs> that, you're using generalization training. Sure. And then the, no, I'm not perfect at this. <laughs> one of the seven dimensions of applied behavior analysis, you're actually like using generality of behavior in your practice. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's, that's a big deal. And, and that's, I think where act comes in because a lot of times, especially for the, the higher vocal kids, but not yeah, just yeah. the higher vocal kids, because I've used act with, uh, with uh, non-vocal or less vocal. And in fact, with one of the individuals I no longer work with because I never no longer worked for that organization, the breakthrough that we had for this individual where it was two times a day for a half day session, we had major aggression, we had holes in walls, people getting concussions, all sorts of things like that. Um, and it was there, there was struggle with communication. There were, we, we had rolled out all medical. We'd done all these different things. Um, and I was an RBT at the time with this client, um, but I was also a behavior analyst in training. I was bait. <laughs> uh, sorry, I love that joke. Uh, but uh, I, I have not. I've just, I'm an oldie. I have not heard that one. So I think that's very funny. <laughs> I, 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 I believe behavior babe coined that one. It was it, Good. <laughs> <laughs> to give credit where credit's due. I think I could be wrong, but, but anyway, I was, I was a behavior analyst in training um, as well as RBT. And I, I, I had pretty decent instructional control compared to others, but it was really stressful. And one night, middle of the night, wake up three o'clock in the morning, just like it's values. <laughs> I, I like, I literally woke up from a dead sleep and, and said it out loud. And my wife's like, huh, what's going on? <laughs> I'm like, don't worry about it, sweetie. I got it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and the next day, because part of the reason I woke up in the middle of the night was I was assigned to be with that client. And even though I'd had less behavior outbursts with him because I had good instructional control, it was stressful. And I was, I was yeah. scared. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I yep. was scared for him. I was scared for me. Yep. I was scared for everyone. So. Cause you, you wanted to get it right. That's yeah. what, you know, like your fear was coming from wanting to do it good and do it the right way. Probably. Also, I don't want to get a concussion. <laughs> right. Like right. Some, so somebody wanna, else. You want to, you want to hit the nail. You want to get it right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that next morning, I, I got up a little bit early and I gathered some materials together and I had identified that this individual's love was anything and everything to do with police, fire, search and rescue. And I'm like, wait, safety and helping. Those are two values, right? So that day came in with cardboard tape Sharpies and we made a safety thermometer and we taped it to the wall 
And he was able to communicate using the safety thermometer how he was feeling. Oh my God, I'm going to start crying. And I was I able am. to communicate how I was feeling. And he oh understood it. And that was the beginning of the beginning of the beginning. It was, oh my gosh. And since then, we went from a few like vocalizations like, hey, and things like that to we acquired, I think it was 15 or 20 vocalizations. He said mom for the first time. And when I left um, and moved from Colorado to Tennessee, um, he was starting to have sign language conversations and engaging with my peers. Heart. And, and, and it all started with values. And if I hadn't had yeah. the ACT training, then it right. would have been this horrible, toxic situation yeah. of me who was trying to care and trying to help this individual. Right. Right. Scared to Coming death. from a place. Yes. Oh. Oh, that's so meaningful. It's just so meaningful. Oh, and so meaningful. Just because it's also meaningful for, for purposes of data. Um, aggression went from twice per day for half day sessions to we we're able to do full day sessions where he, we were doing schooling for him. Um, so we worked with the school district and we we're able to provide his education uh, with the school district's help. Um, so it was an alternative setting and outbursts went, like I said, twice a day, 30 to 40 minutes per day in a half day session to, um, before I left, it was one outburst in a month and went from that escalated flooded state to communicating in five minutes or less. He's doing better than I am. <laughs> I, have way, I have way more than one outburst per month. <laughs> well, when, when I say outburst, I'm spe speak, speaking specifically of physical aggression, uh, attempting to either harm others or put holes oh. in walls. Uh, so, oh, mine's just mine's more taking it out in my uh, intense workout and pretending that you know mm. I've got some some maybe I need to get into boxing. <laughs> well, and, and that's another side of it too. And I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, kind of in a, in a roundabout way, but like another thing is, is we were making sure to teach him that it's okay to feel sad, yes. frustrated, yes. angry. Um, it's okay to communicate that you need a break. Um, we had an issue with public masturbation, urination and defecation with this individual. And one of the first things we taught him was private time. Yes. And right. he asked for private yeah. time. We gave him private time. We check yeah. in with him. And be like, Yo, no. you're good? No, you're, you need more time? Cool. All right. More time. Oh, you mean you treated him with dignity? <laughs> you mean you, you gave him, you treated him as the person who, who just inherently gets dignity? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. It's shocking. <sighs> like, let's treat, treat humans like humans. And, right. and um, not the data. Don't treat them as their data. That's the thing is we end up treating them as their data. And the data is just an aside. The data just helps us make decisions. It isn't our client. Our client isn't their data. Well, and right? they're not. To add to that, because we were talking about this off off camera, off recording um, before we started, but an, a thought occurred to me when we were talking, and I vocalized it, which is the thing about neurodiversity that I love is that it's it's helping to address 
problems and wrongs that have been going on for way too long. And by way too long, we're talking since humanity has been around. <laughs> right. And, and, and it will still be an issue moving forward, but yeah. like we're, we're still working on it. Right. We're trying to do better. Um, but a part of the problem with the neurodiversity neurotypical movement, the one, one frustration I have with it, um, and it's, it's a very small frustration, but it's still kind of big is it, it's creating a kind of separation and there's a need for that in one respect, because we need to be able to identify the problem. We need to discriminate where the problem is. That's discrimination training, behavior analysis 101. But the flip side of that is we also need to kind of, not, not kind of, we need to normalize the understanding that typical or normal is human experience. Right. Like, yeah. just because you experience different from me doesn't mean the, yeah. uh, like people yeah. seem to get this pretty intuitively when we're talking about books, movies, food, uh, except when they're working with autistic kids, apparently, because <laughs> it's like, yeah. wait, you have to eat the food that I put in front of you. I'm like, wait, really? Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. like right. okay. But, but, and, and then I have a fun theory in relation to, to food preferences. Uh, and I, and I, th- I think there's a lot of support for that, but um, that's, that's not the point here, but the point being that like, when we're talking, when we're talking neurotypical, I don't like that term. I like neurological mean, because it, it's the, 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 mean of the, the, the bar, uh, sorry, the bell graph. The bell. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so if the mean is defining what is right for the individuals on the outside of the bell graph, that's a problem. Right. Right. Yeah. But if the mean says, hey, this is the mean experience, but, but just because this is my experience doesn't mean yes. that these experiences are invalid. Yep. And then that's where acceptance, inclusion, integration comes in is yep. it's not, it's not in order for you to be integrated and in part of this community, you need to mask and pretend to be something you're not. Right. And that is a lot of what the autistic adult, right? The adult autistic voices are saying Mm -hmm. is, you know, our experience is our experience, you know, meet us where we're at. Don't try to fit us into that bell curve. Um, And I, you know, being a person, (laughs) um, sometimes it happens and you don't mean to do it because you just become a part of a culture or Mm -hmm. there's a certain way or methodology that maybe the company you're working for is, is doing And it's not, you know, there's no intention to do harm. It's just the way it is. But when you stop and really observe and attempt to connect and meet people where they are, you realize, you know, we are, we are a science and we are an application that prides itself on individual, individual, like we do single subject designs, Mm -hmm. we write individual treatment plans, yet oftentimes we're truly just leveraging off of other stuff. It's not really fully customize an individual. So I do appreciate the adult autistic voices, you know, saying my autism makes me who I am. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, meet me where I'm at and, you know, assist me where I need assistance, but don't, for me, the challenge that I always try to observe and understand is the difference between someone's just core innate personality and some of the difficulties that they're having that we could help them with, right? I am a very specific type of person. I always used to, I like to say like, you don't want to see 
um, my New York Italian come out. Um, so there's a certain part of people's personality that's just them. Yeah. And then there's other parts that kind of get in the way of them living their best life. And that's what we're there to help improve in the lives of our clients, but not make them a different person. Perfect. All right. So um, we're going to go ahead and take a very quick break. All right. Welcome back. Um, so we were just talking about how, like when, when it comes to autism, the neurotype and someone's personality, that's a part of the, like, those are part of who somebody is and trying not to view people as numbers on a graph, <laughs> but as people. Yeah. 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 And, you know, we're going through this list. I told you about my new RBT list and that's kind of what's springboarding our conversations. Right. Mm -hmm. So the beautiful next word on my list is acceptance right? Accept the person, right? Accept them, accept your client. And again, we go back to helping them living their best life. Number one, we're not medical professionals, right? Number two, there is no cure for autism. And that's also not our goal. We're not, that's not our goal. Um, our Praise goal the Lord. is Hallelujah. to, thank you. It's just not, that's never going to be a goal and it shouldn't be right. Um, and so, um, uh, you know, recognizing the, let's call them the excesses in our client's life that get in the way of them leading their best life should be our goal and to, um, honor, right. So I love Temple Grandin, right. She talks all about focusing on people's strengths. I also have a book that Ron Sanderson gave, um, sent me in the mail because I just love him. We connected on LinkedIn and he actually did a presentation for my, my RBT Academy class about his experience living on the spectrum. And this, this new book he wrote, it combines faith because he is a theologian. If I said that right, I might've added an extra I in there. I apologize. And um, someone with autism and just, um, you know, it, gives the credit to his mom who just kind of bucked the system at the time because he's was an 80s kid when you know the the diagnosis itself was very different um and she just met him where he she accepted him for who he was and she built upon his strengths and she found things that interested him and she taught him through that and he's an amazing human He's married, he has a wife and a kid, and he's got multiple master's degrees. And, you know, he, he is who he is because of his autism, not despite it, right? And so to, to find ways to celebrate it um, is important. And also, you know, again, to broaden the fact that as ABA practitioners, we are practicing a science and we are not doing autism therapy. We are mm -hmm. sometimes helping people with autism, but there's no autism therapy. What does that even mean? Um, but I think we need to get more precise with the way that we use our lingo sometimes. Well, and I, and I agree with that both for ABA and also for the autism community, because right. there's, there's, there's a lot of really wishy-washy definitions on both sides. And one of them that I struggled with for a while was the term masking. Um, not the ABA terminology, but the uh, 
autism community one where you're pretending to be somebody you're not, you're putting on a mask. Okay. Mm. And for a long time, I didn't think that I masked. And then I, then I started considering it and considering situations and settings. And I was able to identify that a good portion of my teenage years and early adulthood was masking Mm. because of the consistent delivering of punishment. So it was, right. Pe- it was from like peers and stuff, just peers from your environment, and, and right? adults, your experience. Um, just, you know, being, being shamed and treated poorly, like also from supervisors at work, work, work was a hard one for me. Um, mm-hmm. But then when I started getting into environments that were accepting and healthy, mm-hmm. um, I learned you you. the difference between masking and being mm-hmm. able to um, turn up the volume Mm-hmm. is the way I like to talk about it um, because I started learning discrimination training. Uh, so where I started getting discrimination training, I started learning how to discriminate between the environmental settings because a big part of what ASD uh, autism spectrum disorder uh, affects an individual is there's a lack of discrimination of different environmental characteristics Okay. So example of this is that, that internal sensory, I apparently had ongoing nonstop indigestion most of my life. And it wasn't until I went and got my sleep apnea track treated and got on a, an acid reducer that we were able to discover this for me. And then it was like, Oh, wow. That, never-ending heartburn is gone. I actually feel great. What the heck? Like, <laughs> like being able to learn how to delineate. And, and I, and I especially became aware of it when I forgot to take my medication for three days in a row. And, wow. I, was, and I was like, that's what's going on. All right, cool. And now I know what this feeling is. Well, the same thing goes for environmental. Um, I, I learned how to identify um, body language and, and nonverbal cues and things like that. And it wasn't that I was bad at it. It was just, I was misreading it. Yeah. And, and I had a, a guide, um, my best friend, Bob, um, who started asking good questions and started helping me to explore that. And I started improving my capacity to identify and, and understand and progress in that. And now I'm not saying that I'm, I'm great at all social situations and I'm very, I pick and choose what I want to do. Good for you. Because that's that's my choice, right? We all should be doing that. Exactly. Lead with our desires and and live our best life, right? Not what other people define for us. And, and I, and I get, I get a comment, like, you don't look autistic. And I'm like, well, what does autism look like? I usually just bite my tongue until I taste blood. But it, it just, <laughs> <laughs> I, I get the problem behind it. But at the same time, if, if you caught yourself saying that, please stop, just please, yeah. for the love of God, yeah. stop. <laughs> but yeah. um, right. like, yeah. and, and, and mild autism implies that there's spicy autism and, and I'm spicy yeah. autism. I'm there you go. <laughs> When I got my when I got my vaccination for my second vaccination for COVID, I joked around saying that uh, it, I've, my my autism has been upgraded to autism thirty eight point hot wing uh, buffalo buffalo wing edition. You know, comes with all you want uh, ranch dressing. You know, not blue cheese. That stuff's evil. <laughs> 
I agree. I'm a ranch girl myself. Yeah, I, blue cheese is not fun for me. Anyways, I, I, if you like it, go for it, enjoy it. But not, not enjoy. <laughs> enjoy. You do it. you. You do you. <laughs> but but the point being, like, I am me. Um, but I can turn up the volume or turn down In the volume setting. where I'm right. at because I'm responding sure. to my environment. Because oh my god, the basic premise of behaviorism is the, asking the question: How does the environment influence behavior? And right. behaviorism started outward and moved inward instead of starting inward and moving outward. Because inward, if you start inward, then you're trying to explain things and you get those logical loops and fallacies and stuff. And you, you get some things that are right. Okay. And, and I'm going to say this with the utmost respect for Sigmund Freud, because he was a giant and he did wonderful things and he got Not so many things did. right. So first off, this is not trash talk. This is, this is just being an analyst. Okay. So Sigmund Freud got some things wrong because he started inwards and moved outwards and he created those homunculi to, to, to explain and justify, but he was still trying to describe what he observed. Right. And, and so he did a pretty dang good job. So you'll hear me use things like ego, id, superego, that sort of thing, mostly just ego. Cause that's a common term. And I, and, and using, what behaviorism and RFT and, and cognitive behavioral th- uh, approaches have, have discovered and neuro- neurology, I can um, break it down and functionally define ego id and superego using current technologies and, and, and scientific endeavors. Um, but the, 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 those errors came in because he started inwards and then moved outwards and we're, our hope is to be more precise by starting outwards, the external environment, how it influences us. And as we move inwards, then we start being able to define the internal environment. And that's where ACT comes in. That's where those, those hexaflex ideas come in. Or I actually really like the DNAV approach, the discover, notice, or advisor values approach, which is the idea behind that is um, metaphor. It's very ABA. Um, we have within us as a metaphor, three people, our discoverer, our noticer, and our advisor. And just like our DNA in our biological system, they combine together to be able to help us to adapt to different situations and settings. And if your DNA is informed by your V, your values, then you're able to adapt and overcome and experience your environment as it is, not as you expect it to be. Right. I, I love that. And if you guys want to learn I more about that, that. check out wow. uh, thrivingadolescent.com. The book, The Thriving Adolescent is fantastic. So I, I love that approach. And, it, and, and the Hexaflex fits beautifully into the DNA, DNAV model. Um, wow. So... The idea being that it all comes back to that self-management and no, I'm not masking. I, I, I'm me. I'm still me, but I'm responding to my environment. I'm being adaptive. Well, right. I mean, like at the beginning of this podcast, we set the ground rules and we talked about it being PG-13. Mm-hmm. So I'm adapting to the environment, right? Yep. Had I been sitting out with my buddies having some drinks, being all loose, right? We'd be having this conversation differently. Mm -hmm. And that's just like going to a professional meeting dressed a certain way or being in certain, that's 
we have to be able to do that, right? You have to be able to adapt. I mean, have to is, you know, loose, but we, we, it's okay. It doesn't mean you're not being your authentic self because you choose to adapt to your environment, right? I mean, you go into the classroom, you have to act a certain way. You go into the boardroom, you have to act a certain way. You go into the bar, you act, you have to act a certain way, but it's more accepting to act the other way. Well, and if and, I'm sitting down with my Australian friend, uh, then there's going to be a lot more language that's allowed on the table compared to if I was yeah. sitting down with uh, one of my friends from Colorado versus Utah versus, you know, wherever the person right. is from, because yeah. I'm responding to what I know. And if I make a mistake in that social setting and I get the correction, instead of taking it as a personal attack, right. I ask myself, what are my values? Okay. One right. of my values is connecting is community. Right. So then I can create a situation where I'm able to adapt and maintain myself and be myself while still responding to the other individual in the environment and being a positive influence to them. Yeah. Right. I love that. I love that distinction. I love it. I love being able to say that, you know, you're adapting to the environment. Um, One thing, I I don't know where the best place to put this in, but one thing that I do teach my students, right? Because the main role that I serve right now through Apple Tree Connection is to grow my RBT Academy because I really, I'm so passionate and it is so important for me to be one of the original uh, teachers and mentors of those entry-level practitioners in our field, right? I want to give the exposure to people coming in about what it's the new RBT, right? The, the way that I see um, a wonderful way to be a practitioner, right? And so one thing I tell them all the time and remind them is stimulus control, right? We as practitioners wield a very, very, very important magical power, right? And that is stimulus control. And we're talking about the environment. We are not response controllers. We are not behavior controllers. People control themselves. We do not control people, right? Mm -hmm. And this magical superpower that we have that's called stimulus control can be used for good or evil. It can, right? If we, if we do not take this compassionate connection, curious person first approach, um, and we take this amazing thing that we know to be true, this, this reinforcement, this modifying the antecedent, um, in order to help our clients shape their own behavior, because people change themselves. I do not change a person. I change the environment. I help other people change the environment. I help a person recognize their environment. Um, but we don't, we don't change people. And I think that gets a little sometimes lost um, when we are practicing ABA is that possibly I believe that the, um, the, the mentality, and I'm, I'm just stumbling on my words because I don't want to make accusations, but I do believe a lot of people kind of come into it thinking, I'm going to change this person. No, people change themselves. We modify the environment. We, we have stimulus control, which is a very, very powerful thing to wield, right? Because it could be used for evil, but so, we need to use it for good. So, so I use... Um... 
I, I'm a nerd. I'm a big old nerd. I love being a nerd. Mm-hmm. I'm a geek too. Uh, I'm generally nerdy. Uh, I like to use gamer terminology for this. Great. So most people think that behavior analysts are PVP. That's player versus player or person versus person, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're actually PVE. That's player or, or person versus environment. Yeah. Like right. we're, we're more Minecraft than we are modern warfare, just to use an yeah. example. Yeah. Like our job is to modify yeah. the environment and yeah. teach the individual how they can modify. How the they can modify. And that's where ACT, that's why I'm so intrigued by this, right? This mm-hmm. is something that we kind of talked a little bit about is I'm on a journey to incorporate ACT and, and exposure to ACT in my RBT Academy because you know, I've had experiences where very, very purist behavior practitioners shy away from using the word emotion or the word feeling. And I don't want people to be uncomfortable using those words. Are we going to sit down and do psychotherapy or work through those people's feelings and emotions? That's not what I'm formally trained in. Mm -hmm. I would like to know who to communicate with if that does, if that is something that my client needs to work on, but I need to, it is imperative for me to recognize that my person that I'm working with, my client is a feeling emotional being, right? And let's face it, you know, somebody comes to a session and their dad just died. It's going to have an effect on their behavior. It just is. I mean, we all, like you said, it's the human experience to pretend that it doesn't you're, I don't think you're being your best practitioner to, you know, to, to, I'm not saying that we're going to have a grief counseling session at the time. We could still give them a hug if they would like a hug, if that's Mm -hmm. what they want, we could give them a break if that's what they want, Mm -hmm. recognizing that the human experience is a part of behaviors, right? We talk about setting events all the time. Mm-hmm. Emotions and feelings are setting events, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so being comfortable with using the word doesn't mean that we're working outside of the scope of our practice, right? Well, if I sat down and tried to work through it, that would be a little bit beyond that. Giving somebody their own tools to work through it, that's, that's act, right? Enabling that person to be aware of their own behaviors, right? As a result of their thoughts and feelings. Well, and that's also the heart of, of trauma-informed care because a part of it is, is helping the individual to see and know that you're safe, um, that, that they can be around you and they don't have to worry about you causing harm to them. Um, or, or, or even you ignoring when harm is happening. Right. Right. Even more so, even more so. I think you hit that nail on the head is that whole, you know, we're just going to gloss over this because that's not quote unquote behavior because that's not what I'm quote unquote working on. And And that's where the data, it gets, it gets dangerous when people see themselves as data collectors, mm-hmm. right? When they see themselves, when they're taught you're an RBT and you're a data collector. No, data collection is one of your duties. 
Well, and then that leads beautifully into the next thing, which is trustworthiness, because trauma-informed care incorporates trustworthiness. It's, it's building that trust. We could, we could use behavior ease for this and say pairing, but, but it's more than pairing. It's, it's honoring communication. It's yeah. admitting when you make a mistake. It's yeah. building that rapport that I'm human, you're human, we're human together, and we can be human. And, and yeah. no, I don't expect you to be a robot. Um, yes. And, and that leads to empowerment, which also builds into choice and collaboration. Like, yeah. and, and those are the five characteristics of what I consider trauma-informed care. And if you're not incorporating safety, choice, collaboration, trustworthiness, and empowerment, then you're not trauma-informed. And so, like, I hope that that fits into the new RBT model. It sounds like it does. It does. It does. And, and as, as we're talking, you didn't mention ASD one time when you were saying that, right? Mm-hmm. You're just talking about a person, mm-hmm. a human at any age stage or, right, with or without any disability or disorder, right? It's not, and, you know, and if you're not, working with animals, the same thing applies. Same thing, right, right. Where, what's your history? My friend just, I've been talking about this, you know, one of my amazing teammates on my workout team, she, um, she adopted a bait dog. Mm. Right. I mean, you want to talk about coming with a history Mm. and I have never met such a happy dog. And I think that that dog has gratitude. I think that dog is so grateful. I'm getting chills just saying it out loud. Um, and I know, you know, it's, she's still a dog, but just watching her little butt wiggle and the fact that she has like half a tail and her jaw and like, just looking, she's, she was, I mean, the life that she lived was the worst imaginable life you can imagine for any living thing. Right. Mm. And, and, and what is coming from her experience now is just this, like, look at my life. And, and she could easily, I would, you know, if she was an angry dog who nipped at everybody all the time, I would go, I get it. I get it. I'll keep you safe. I'll keep you warm. I'll keep you separate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll keep the other people safe from you. But she is just like, there's something about this dog that is just coming out, you know, and she's living her best life. And there's something about just the way she's engaging with her new environment. That's inspiring. (laughs) Well, I have two rescues too. And, and same thing, like seeing the history uh, or rather guesstimating at the history that each of them have, but also creating those, those conditions where they open up and seeing the beautiful personalities of of who they are and then just loving and accepting them for who they are. Yeah. And, and like, we can do this with dogs. Why can't we do this with people? Right. 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 <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I see these people who are like, I like it. I like dogs more than I like humans. And I'm like, but what if you applied the same principles to humans that you do to dogs? Like maybe your interactions with humans would be improved. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love I, I, it. And I used to have that attitude. I used to have that attitude of, of, of hating humanity, of feeling like I was an alien. Right. Well, I get it. If you, if you recognized down the road that you were masking, right. Mm -hmm. Then I can understand why that perspective would come in because you think like, 
humanity has caused me to not live out my fullest self because it's not accepting of me without my mask or when I'm not masking, I, you know, it's, I'm treated a certain way. Right. Yeah. And you, it was, it was until that you started getting into environments where you had the opportunity to feel safe and comfortable to take it off. And you're like, cool. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm, uh, this is me, you know, that great, uh, greatest showman song. This is me when the yeah. bearded lady is just singing that amazing big song. And I love that song. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the song of, of ABA. Like this is me. Take well, me. Leave and, me. And act. I, I discovered act after I made these discoveries about myself, but act has helped me to better understand it and, and, and further the growth. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Put but, labels on it, kind of like yeah, give it like, a name, follow a path, create the definition, understand what's going on, um, replicate it. Being scientific, yes. being a technological. Yeah. Um, yes. But I used to think of myself as an angry person. I am an angry person. I am this. Mm. I am that. Mm. And then, so this is one of my favorite act concepts: self as context. And, and I'll, and I'll d explain self as context. My favorite way of explaining it is to give you the polar opposite, self as content. Okay. The opposite opposition to self as context is self as content. I am an angry person. That is self as content. I am this. I am that. Here's self as context. I am experiencing mm -hmm. anger. I am experiencing my neurotype. I am experiencing. Now, when I'm talking to people and they and we talk about stuff it, on the surface level conversation, because of the way English is, the way language is, is uh, Ooh, I can't I, wait I will, to jump in on this. I'm gonna Ooh. I'm gonna digress in a second because you Please jumped do. right into where <laughs> I was going. Go for it. Go for good, it. good, good. Uh, so I I will say I am autistic. I am non-binary. I I will say those things right. But really, when I get an opportunity to dive in. This is turning up the volume. Okay. I say, I am a human who experiences not autism. Okay. Hmm. And when we get into the non-binary, it usually happens. That's easier because people ask me what my pronouns are. And I'm like, I don't care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, and I'm like, just say he, him, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Um, and, and they're like, well, what, what, what would you want? And I'm like, well, really, truly my true pronoun, if I wanted, if I could, if it wasn't super awkward would be me because my true pronoun is me. I am me. I will always be me. I will never change from being me. Me is the thing that was me a hundred, uh, sorry, uh, 20 years ago. Me is me now. Me is me in 30 years, mm. right? Me will always be me. And so that's the perfect pronoun, except it's not because it's super awkward. Because <laughs> hi, me. Are you talking about me or are you talking about me? Yeah, exactly. So, but but the, but the point being, like the the reason I I chose non-binary uh, because it took a lot of thinking about, a lot of consideration, a lot of growth, is because uh, for for the very longest time in my life, I've I've had a lot of arguments with people about what is considered manly. And, and I, and I challenge those constantly. And in fact, I even had an argument that lasted like three whole days across 
multiple touchings with this person over multiple weeks where he, he insisted that he would take away my man card. And I'm like, you can't take away my man card if I don't have one. Like, oh. <laughs> like, and, and, and this was, this was way before the growth that I, I have now. And so like the reason I decided non-binary applies is not because that matters, but because it's an opportunity to teach an important idea, which is I am self as context. I am me operating in my context. And it doesn't like, it doesn't matter how other people respond to me in relation to my values, but it doesn't matter. So if somebody misgenders me based off of my, what my external gender looks like or doesn't look like, and this happened with the client, the client kept on misgendering me. And one of the RBTs was getting upset and I had to pull him aside and say, I don't care if he calls me Mrs. Middleton. Mm. Right. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care if he says, yes, ma'am, that doesn't matter to me. What matters is that he's here, that he's trying and Mm. that the, and correcting him is, is interfering with his ability to engage with me. So I don't care. And, um, and so that's why I decided that non-binary best fits um, because I want to help people understand that. Yes. If, if you're, if you're hearing this and you're of a more conservative outlook or, or, you know, you kind of got that eye roll responsive of, of, well, you know, there used to be two genders and now there's a bazillion type thing, which I was there at one point. Um, and I had to grow, uh, if, if that's your response, think about it this way. Um, Freddie Mercury's name is, wasn't Freddie Mercury, but we call him Freddie Mercury. And Prince's name wasn't Prince, but we call him Prince. Why can't we just respect what another person has? And I know it can be frustrating if you accidentally goof and mix up and that sort of thing. But like, yeah. come on, even if you don't like Freddie Mercury or Prince's music, I don't understand why you don't. But if you don't <laughs> like, OK, fine, don't like it. But that doesn't mean you have to be right. an asshole. Well, and you don't have to jump on every single bandwagon. Like, I don't, I don't even address the topic. Like for myself, I've never really explored it because I'm the same way. I just Mm -hmm. don't, I don't, my identity isn't something that I sit around thinking about just like I don't sit around thinking about, I don't know how to make grits i don't know i I don't know like i don't know how to compare it you know what i'm saying like you also don't have to jump on every single bandwagon and make a big deal about every single thing for the Mm -hmm. sake of making a big deal about every single thing not everything has to be your thing you know kind of that too like it doesn't just be respectful and 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 client first person first like what what's right and that that client that you're working with isn't being malicious they're just learning how to communicate, right? And and you're saying how they're how they're addressing me is less important than the fact that they are addressing me. Mm-hmm. Like them communicating trumps that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's important. That's just important to meet that person where they are. And later maybe you can shape it, right? Yeah. Because later as that person is becoming more social and we're and being in the world, teaching them that form of respect or that form, you know. I'm making this, you know, client centric. Now let me teach you how to consider other people's requests, something like that. You could shape up to it. Right. So 
I appreciate well, that. When you were, can I jump in really, really fast? Jump, jump, jump in. I, I, I need to make a note, make sure I don't forget this up, this up. but go ahead. Jump. Yeah. <laughs> because you were talking about context and content and I consider myself a word nerd. I love language. Um, I am pretty fluent in Spanish. I would call myself an intermediate intermediate speaker. I still have to stop and think a lot of times, but I speak it as often as I possibly can to native speakers. And what I love about the language in the Spanish language is the difference between S like ES, which is permanent. So it's when you say is something is permanent. I am permanently Tara, mm-hmm. right? Yo soy Tara, like yo soy Tara. That's how you say it in Spanish, right? Okay. But when you're sick, you say Estoy enferma. I am temporarily sick. I am temporarily angry. I am experiencing this currently, but I am not this permanently. Mm -hmm. And that is a big distinction in that language that is clear. When When you're fluent in that, you don't say, yo soy enferma. Like you're not, you're not calling yourself sick forever. Yo estoy enferma. I am currently sick, right? Mm-hmm. I am currently angry, right? So it's a, it's a distinction that's just made automatically within the language. That's useful. That's very useful. Yeah. Okay, so uh, thank you for jumping in with that. And, and <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in with, uh, I've shared this thought before in, in podcast past. I can't remember which one, but this is a very useful tool. And um I found it thanks to the author, Terry Pratchett, author of the Discworld series. He passed away a few years back now. Um, So in in one of the series that he wrote, um, it was a children's series, uh, the Tiffany Aching series, which is loops into the rest of of the Terry Pratchett verse. But um, Tiffany Aching is a witch, big air quotes there. Um, And what made her a witch was as it was described by um, Granny Weatherwax, who was her mentor, was the fact that while she had her first thoughts and she had her second thoughts, the thing that truly made her a witch is that she had her third thoughts. And I'm going to give this an example of something that recently happened to me, and I'm hoping that we can do a podcast with these individuals. But if they, we don't, then I still want to bring it up because it's, it's part of opportunity for growth. Um, I hope that they agree to come on and talk about this. Um, but somebody shared some frustration with the use of the term mindfulness and how that was culturally appropriating. Um. Indian culture and it was being disrespectful to the culture. And my first thoughts were this again. And my second thoughts were, why are they being so whiny about this? Obviously we understand, understand the difference between these two. And then my third thought popped up and my third thought was like, hold on a second. They're saying this hurts. Why am I ignoring the communication that this hurts? I need to listen and find out what's hurting so that way I can change it. Mm. And the same thing applies when we're working with our clients, right? So if we see a behavior outburst, okay, well, no, let's, let's start with tickling. Tickling is a simple one, right? 
um, you're tickling a child and th- th- you're playing, you're having fun. And the, t- the kid says, stop. Okay. Some people, because we've been taught this, keep on tickling. Mm-hmm. But when I hear stop from a kid, hands mm-hmm. off immediately, as soon as it registers, I'm, my hands are off. Mm-hmm. If the kid says, why'd you stop? Or they try to indicate to me that they wanted me to keep going. Then I very clearly draw the line and saying, if you say stop, I'm stopping. Right. You're reinforcing the word stop. You're reinforcing yeah. it. You're stop telling them when stop. you say stop. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if it, if it was stop or ow or anything like that, and I stop and it turns out I was actually causing pain or hurt, then good. I did exactly what I was supposed to do. Right. But if it turns out that it was a, um, overgeneralization of a term, then what I'm doing now is I'm correcting. So that way that communication is clear. Right. Okay. Right. So listen to your third thoughts and your third thoughts don't have to be limited to your interactions with your client. Do it with the world around you because here's the thing about self as context. Self as context doesn't have to be self as context. It's in context. We're looking at everybody in context. If I look at somebody, if I find out X, Y, Z actor did this one thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. One of the examples of that is a particularly very famous actor who um, was in, is in famous spy movies, not going to name any names because I don't want to get anybody coming after me, but recently found out that this particular individual made some decisions in the filming of their latest film that resulted in deaths of some people. And it was a prideful decision and it could have been, those deaths could have been averted. And I have chosen to not watch that upcoming film, but that doesn't mean that I, will no longer consume anything by this particular individual. Like the, the, the previous films that I have, I'm not going to go throw them away or delete them. I'm just going to say for this particular thing, because this action was had and there's, there's no consequences, I'm not going to support this, but that doesn't mean that I have to be like, this person is the most evil person I'll ever, I'm not going to demonize them. I'm going to be like, you're in your context. You made a mistake. Yes. I accept that. But I'm also going to say, hmm, pass. Right. Right. So there you go. Sorry, little little digression there. No, I, I, I this conversation is is so stimulating and just I love talking about this bigger and broader, right? And and I always say that ABA is an umbrella science, you mm-hmm. know. I, I just, I just feel that way. I just feel that when we have this lens um, of how we interact with the environment, right? And also, mm-hmm. like you said, it's just this one thing, this one time and this one thing. Not everything is about, not one thing is about everything and not everything is about one thing. And just being able to see things in that context. And, but that's where, right? That's where kind of act comes in. That's when we talk about setting events. Like today, Johnny's having a bad day. And yes, that is subjective. Bad day is subjective, but these are the reasons why his behavior has changed in this direction, right? Um, is due to these setting events. It's, be- it's 
you know, this happened prior to session and it is affecting his behavior today. Will it affect his behavior tomorrow to be seen, right? It depends on maybe how we interact with him today. So this marriage between ACT and ABA, I think is less of a marriage and more just part and parcel of each other, right? It's just, it's a lens. It's like you're putting on your ABA, you're putting on your ACT glasses while you're doing ABA. They're not, they're not like separate from each other. They're, they're a part of each other when, when utilized um, for improving someone's helping improve someone's life, helping improve somebody's um, time on this earth. Well, and ABA fall or behaviorism falls under a different umbrella as well. So there's, there's kind of an umbrella effect going on here. And that umbrella is, um, contextual behavioral science, right? Like you're, you're describing being a functional contextualist. Yeah. And, and that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we can try to help others understand is yes, you are a, you're an RBT, a BCBA, a BCABA, a BCBAD, like, and and, and congratulations. You worked really hard to get to this point. That is amazing. Like I've been through that test. I know how stressful that is. Like, (laughs) I wouldn't have been able to make it through that test without ACT personally. And that oh. was when I was able to, that was when I was able to get the results almost immediately. I can only imagine how awful it would have been to have to wait, you know, three to four months to get your results. Oh, that nerve wracking. <laughs> I can only imagine. Um, cool. You fought the dragon. You've been, you, you were there and back again, but that doesn't change the fact that you're still working with other people. Right. Like we right. have you to just give chose, each other. You just chose this science to be the thing that you're using to work with those other people versus this science or that science or this method or that method. Exactly. You're, you're still, yeah. It's a set of, you know, it's a set of contracts and, you know, people talk about staying in your lane or being true to the science, but you know, it's, we still need to lean on other professionals because the, the, you know, behavior is everything you say and do. I think it's thrown around a lot. And we Mm -hmm. often say, well, you know, we could do what a speech pathologist could do. Well, if we could, then we'd be speech pathologists. And I wouldn't, I would have gone to school for that. Mm -hmm. And I would have learned all the things that they learned, but can I incorporate some of the things that they're doing in my sessions? Right to improve my client's behavior by using these particular tools? Yes, I can. If I collaborate with them, can I collaborate with them? I mean, anytime I got, I would get a new client and we would have verbal behavior goals. I would always ask if there was a speech pathologist in my client's repertoire. I would reach out. It was, I was always blown away when I was told you are the either first or second or very rare number of behavior analysts who has called me. And I was like, why? You're a speech pathologist. This is what you're trained to do. If you have speech goals and I have verbal behavior goals, I would rather use your speech goals because you know, you know how to evoke speech and, you know, you're learning about the mouth and the oral motor. I remember one time and I'm digressing a little bit. I had a client whose name um, let me see, would this be breaking ethics? If I say the person's name, if I just say their name, just for the sake of saying their name as a is, client, is it, is it super unique or 
I'm going to change the name, right? Okay. I'm just going to change the name. It's a name. That person's name started with an L. So I'm going to pretend that their name was Larry. I'm just going to pretend it was just for the sake of using another L name. And that person was a young person. Mm -hmm. And so they always said their L's with like a Y. Right. So they said Yeri, Yeri, right? It translates a little bit differently to this name, right? So as a behavior analyst, I was trying to help the person state their name, quote unquote, appropriately. And so I would overemphasize the L and say, oh, Larry, Larry, and then we'd shape it, right? So that poor child was saying my name is Larry. And I said, oh, my God, what have I done? This is not okay. Right. Mm -hmm. I am now teaching this child to just, you know, so I I took the time at that point, which I should have done before to consult with a speech pathologist. And they said the L is one of those letters that, you know, because I told them how old this person was and they go, that is totally age appropriate for them to be saying like a Y. And I was like, I'm out of my lane here. I I have stepped out of my lane because, you know, all, you know, all, you know, everything you say and do is behavior. And I was taking that approach and I was out of my lane at that point. And I was actually doing more harm than good. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of just like started reinforcing just however he said it and great, you're great. And then left that to the speech pathologist. I was out of my lane. Yeah. And it's, it's hard work to, be this self-analytic to question, to catch yourself. Like it's, it's really, really hard work to acknowledge when you've made a mistake or you screwed up, you've effed up yeah. and not yeah, functioned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not functioned up. You effed up. <laughs> uh, and, and, but like, this goes back to values again. What are my values? And living oh you're good okay and and living um living a life where i'm not values driven is harder than living a values driven life like the frustration the anger the the fear the anxiety the like name all the different emotions that that we consider negative um you know, I'll tell you right now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Jocko Willick's TED Talk is, is one of my favorite TED Talks ever. One of the best 15 minutes you'll ever spend. He talks about radical self-ownership. Since I've learned ACT and since I've learned the, the self as context, um, being in the present moment, uh, values, uh, values driven action or committed action to values. Um, I haven't named all of them, but those are, those are the big ones that stand out to me at this very moment. Um, since I've learned these skills instead of what used to be, which is you were wrong. You are wrong. Self is content there. Now it's when I hear someone say you are wrong, I, what I am actually hearing is a concept that you have or a behavior that you've elicited, emit, uh, sorry, emitted was incorrect for this context. For this context. And so when I find that out, I face it. I face the discomfort. I turn towards the experience that I have instead of trying to hide from it and turn away from it. 
and I accept it. I turn into it. And I will give you a good example that happened this year. I screwed up in an IEP meeting, right? I, I let my ego get in the way and I said things that I shouldn't have said. And I was brought to task over that. And first off, the person who brought me a task, love the heck out of this person because they did it in a kind way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But regardless of whether they brought, brought to me in a kind way or not, was irrelevant. First thought, defensive. Second thought, defensive. Third thought, hold on, I caused harm. Okay. Yep. So it was very quick process. What would have taken me months, weeks, yeah. days, years to right. accept or that never. I screwed up or never. Or never, right. Yeah. Like I, I could be spending all the time saying, talking about what every other person did and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happened to me. This happened to me. Yeah. Exactly. And and like, you know, I'll be honest, like I wasn't operating in a vacuum. There were things that were happening, but what did I do? Yeah. So what I did is I took full ownership immediately right there and said, yep, I can see I screwed up. Yep. And there you go. And then I, I took a step further. I went to each person there and uh, where I was allowed to d- apologize in person, where I was not allowed to, took a, a did an e- email. And then the next IEP meeting at the beginning, I asked permission. I spoke up and I said, I take ownership. I was unprofessional. It was unacceptable. I am, uh, I will, uh, I need to improve how I did things. I am sorry. There was no excuse. Wow. Right. And that's leadership, but, but that's not just leadership. That's just being human. Right. And, and that's, that's trustworthiness. And it was, I know my ulterior motive wasn't, I got to get their trust. It was, you know what? I screwed up. I own it. And interestingly, I went to one of the team members and, and apologized to them. And the team member's response was, I don't think you did anything wrong. And I'm like, right, right. I'm, I'm glad that you don't think I did anything wrong, but I did something right. wrong. <laughs> like right. it yeah. wasn't okay. <laughs> I, well, and guess I, what? You don't have to carry that around anymore either. You don't yeah. have to carry around this like dissonance or like this happened to me or mm-hmm. I was wrong. You don't carry that around anymore. And it's you're, you're, so it's, much lighter. It's relieving. I, I try, you know, like I said, I'm on this journey to learn a lot more about ACT and I feel like I'm just kind of like natural at it without ever being formally trained in it, which is why I really like to expose my RBT students to mm-hmm. this, this, these lens, this lens, let's call it right. I just like to call it a lens, like this amazing yeah. glasses that you put on, um, but it's part of my personal journey too, as just a person <laughs> who's also a, a mom, who's also a wife and in my relationships really bring it, you know, especially to my parenting and just the idea of unconditional love and not mm-hmm. making their love contingent on their actions, which are contextual, right. That, that are happening in a bubble. And that's, that's even bigger of a challenge for me because I am emotionally married to my children and my husband, mm-hmm. whereas my RBT students, not so much They're you know, where we don't have an, you know, a bond, but, um, bringing that into my parenting and trying to really teach my kids the, these skills as well is 
you, you know, when you try to explain to them, hey, that that behavior kind of this is this was the result. And well, I didn't mean to do it. OK, your intention is not as important as the fact that it did occur. And this is how somebody else felt as a result and being mm -hmm. able to just step back. You know, kids are different, though, because they have not matured and and their their brains are still child brains. So to mm -hmm. remember that, too, is that I'm coming from a very many years their senior and many life experiences, their senior, both, you know, good, bad, ugly. Um, but just giving them the opportunity to have that lens too yeah. is to recognize how their participation on this earth and their existence um, and their interactions affects other people as well as themselves. And, and, and to make them feel lighter when they're able to accept it and to move past it and to not, um, you know, make it conditional, make my love conditional on that as well. Yeah. And that's, that's my challenge because as a behavior analyst, I want everything to be conditional. You do this and you get this and you do this and you get that. And so trying to see how to behave myself where these two things are sometimes feel at odds, but don't have to. Right. Um, yeah. Because contingencies are important. Life is a contingency. Yeah. You don't just, somebody just doesn't go, oh, here's $10,000. Maybe you'll do something. Maybe you won't. It's like, yeah. do this, then get your $10,000. Well, and you, you've, you've hit on some wonderful ideas. And, and if you don't mind, I, I want to unhash them from an act perspective. Great. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that you've talked about is values. You're, you're, you, one of the values you have is, is being a parent. And I can tell that that value is incredibly important to you based off of the, the passion and the love that you're speaking with. And this is where that DNAV approach comes in so handy um, for understanding values. Being a parent, a lot of times when parents struggle with uh, a teenage child, it's because they haven't shifted out of the one mode of that value. The, the I'm taking care of this baby human that is going to potentially kill itself if I don't do something right. <laughs> like run into the street or, you know, um, not clean up after itself, after it urinates and defecates and, and cause sickness in that way, or all those, all those different things. Um, and then when, when that, that brain development is happening, the, the individual is now transitioning. So the value of parent is still there, but you have to shift the, how much of the observer, the noticer and the advisor is popping up. So that way you can still live your value of being a parent. And then the parents who struggle with, maybe they do really great in the teenage years, right? Mm -hmm. But then the young adult years and the adult years are so hard. And, and there's all those clashes as a result of that. And that's because also it's a values mismatch or not quite comprehending the committed action portion of moving towards your values, because you have to respond in the context. Um, yes. And so there's the parent who's like, well, I'm still your parent. And the kids yes. moved away and has their own family, or maybe they don't yes. have their own family. And, and it's like, you have to fit within my context. And it's like, well, no, yeah. no, no. Uh, and and right. that's, so that's a really important thing about values is, is knowing that a value values is like going left or right. It's like traveling east or west. It's a direction. 
Like you can never truly achieve your value, but you can achieve your values driven goals. So one of my values, I want to have kids. Turns out I can't have kids like natural born. So am I a little bit devastated? Sure. I would love to be able to have my own cute little mini me running around my spawn. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I, I would love to have that, but I've shifted my values. Well, no, my values haven't shifted. My, my value of being a parent is still there, but I've right. shifted my committed action. And so now I'm on a journey towards being able to foster and adopt. Amazing. And, you know, I love my family, but if my, if every member of my family were to pass away tomorrow, please don't happen. But if that were to happen, guess what? My family is still my value. I still have that value. I can build family around me. I can live towards the, uh, to values driven behavior towards the memory of family. Um, I have one left, one grandparent left, and there's a good chance that she won't make it through the year but I still love them. My values are still present. Um, so that's, that's a really core idea um, of ACT is, is seeing what values are and what they aren't. And, and another important idea is, is knowing that the dead man test applies to values and goals. Ooh, tell me. So if you have a dead man goal of I don't want to feel depressed. Oh, the absence of. Absence of. That's a dead man goal, right? Um, you want. I to want be, to feel happy, yeah. right? That would be, right? So that's like the opposite. Is that yeah. kind of where you're going with that? Got it. Yep, yep. And, and what's more, I would argue that even I want to feel happy could be potentially a dead end goal, not a dead man goal. Cause you know, a dead man necessarily doesn't necessarily feel happy or sad, but feel happy is that's like a one note song. Like, and, and sure you can have a one note song. Those, those club songs after, after a certain point, it gets kind of annoying. Um, the, the thing that I love about act is that, at the core of it is this understanding that we are the sum of our experiences, but not really. It's actually the, we're the sum of what we take from our experiences. And you can't decide whether or not you're going to feel pain or not. Pain is inevitable, Mm -hmm. but suffering is optional. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, And so being able to see yourself within that context and being able to see all these different things and perceive them, see is wrong, perceive them. Um, And then once you perceive this, oh, I'm the sum of what I take from my experiences, then you become a time traveler. Yeah. You get to choose. You, you, Mm -hmm. you, you choose. We talk about that. My husband and I all the time is just. You know, it's it's how you choose to react to it is mm-hmm. your ultimate power, right? Mm-hmm. You get to con- that's what you get to control as a person. You don't get to control 
the inputs, right? Because Mm -hmm. life, like you said, I love how you said that it's, it's our takeaway from our experiences, right? So you could, two people could be experiencing the very same thing at the very same time and they could take away two separate things. Right. And, 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 but your lens is also shaped. So to be able to change your perception of it from let's just use negative and positive for the sake of just being, you know, thinking, thinking of it that way. If you are to tend, tend to take the negative aspect of things away to shift your mindset, to see the same thing through the rose colored glasses, or to at least say, I recognize that that caused me pain, but I will choose not to suffer as a result. And this is where the RFT component comes into act is that if you're trying to avoid your experiences, yes, yep, then you're yep. lit- literally what you're doing is by the act of avoiding, you're increasing the pain. Yeah, and thus of course, because creating right. suffering. Yes, yes, that's and we talk about that. It's so you know when I talk to my RBTs about that, we'll talk about you know antecedent modification, and it's a beautiful thing. But mm-hmm. if you take if you modify your client's environment, right? Like if you take away every trigger for their tantrum, Mm -hmm. you are not giving them an opportunity to experience that which causes the tantrum or that which triggers the tantrum. So they don't know how to not tantrum or how to do something in lieu of it or how to take that experience and process it in a way that is more beneficial to them and the world around them. Right. So we yeah. do that's anti- that's overly modifying the antecedents by, Oh, I'm not going to go down that path. I'm going to keep going. Then you never, you never behave in a way that's that takes you down the positive path. Right. Exactly. And, and that's the, to bring it a little bit full circle in some ways um, that's where RFT has helped us to bridge that gap and see where the things that Freud and Jung were observing are coming in is, is being able to see, okay, so let's look at our behaviors here, the, the, the types of behaviors that we've identified through behaviorism. So we've got Pavlov and that reflects a behavior, cool stimulus, stimulus mm-hmm. pairing. We have mm-hmm. what Skinner identified which is a stimulus response stimulus. So operant behavior. Um, then we, then RFT started with somebody asking the question about Skinner's verbal operants and, and started exploring that and looking at rules, govern behavior and all these little fun things that come with that. And so RFT brought that in and helped us understand that even better. So it's a continuation on Skinner's work. And so we're starting to see that, Oh, wow, there's, there's multiple levels of behavior. And as far as we know, as far as we know, this is important qualifying here. As far as we know, humans are the only be- end of animals that have verbal behavior like we have, right? Could be that maybe dolphins and some other animals out there might have those cetaceans, whales, they might. Here's the thing. They've learned how to understand us, but we don't understand them. So I don't know. Like we can't truly know. So it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool stuff out there. But, and same thing goes for, for uh, uh, cephalopods, octopi. Um, their, their language is way different than ours. They communicate not just with sound, but also with chemicals and colors and so many other things. So that's why I say as far as we know, but the point is, as far as we know, what relational frame theory has taught us about verbal behavior has showed us that, oh, okay, 
internal environment is just as important as external environment. Of course, that's the intrinsic and the extrinsic. Exactly. And, and so that self-management makes a huge difference. And if we don't incorporate that when we're working with baby humans. Right. Where are you going to get the generalization from? Where are you going to get it from? Exactly. Where's it going to come from? If you're not tapping into them, their own, right? You're de- yeah. You got to tap into what motivates them. There's that motivation again, right? Um, we might be reinforced by our, our environment, but we're motivated intrinsically. And that's the goal. You don't, you don't want to sit and focus all of the attention on your client's external reinforcers, right? I mean, you, you want to be able to get them to understand how to recognize that which is occurring inside, right? So perfect. Well, I love uh, it. It looks like we're about out of time. Um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Um, so much. Folks, if you, if you want to learn more from Tara and, and hear from her, she has a, amazing work that she's doing on Instagram. Um, you can also check out appletreeconnection.com to learn more about her RBT coursework. Uh, really excited to learn more about that myself. Um, How else can, can folks reach out to you if they want to learn more or, or experience more of what you're offering? Appreciate that ask. Um, We do have a YouTube channel. I was doing an ABA to Z series that I kind of put a pin in, but I'll be back. Um, And we have a lot of people that are um, interested in the RBT credential that find those videos very helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, I just take a very practical approach to explaining the different concepts, especially like the stimulus control, how we help work on the environment and we don't change people. It's just very important to me to get that new RBT way out there. Um, And we are going to be launching right now our RBT Academy, our taught live, right? So we teach them typically twice in the fall, twice in the spring in partnership with the University of Central Florida, Mm -hmm. but launching late spring, early summer, we're going to have a self-paced course. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been belaboring it because the live part is so important in the way that I teach it. So we have simulated our live course as closely as we possibly can by incorporating um, uh, recorded lectures broken down into small topic based videos instead of having our students watch like multi hour videos mm-hmm. they're watching very small topic based videos along with um, reading material that has been created we also have a guided notes workbook um, so it's it's very uh, we really want our students to succeed and we will also have weekly live BCBA sessions based on what module you are on because the idea is that at any moment, anybody can be signing up. So we'll have dedicated days of the week that is, are associated with each model because people will be on different paces because it's self-paced. So we're super pumped about that and we're going to be launching that soon. So just get on our social media channels. We've been on Instagram a lot. We are on Facebook, uh, YouTube. I try to be on LinkedIn to be in touch with the business to business side. Mm. Um, but you could always, re- if you want to just email me, you can email me at Tara at the apple to learn more um, and just give a shout out anywhere you find us. And this is awesome. Thanks for having me, Brian. Well, I really appreciate it. Um, thank you again for joining both the act natural and Obehave podcast today. Um, folks remember that act natural and Obehave are 
um, open source education materials, which means all or part of the podcast, except for the intro and uh, outro music, which is licensed specifically uh, to the podcast, is open for use, reuse, cutting, pasting, utilizing towards continuing education. Just remember that you need to cite your sources and uh, act natural and uh, behave. <laughs>